time to abandon ship. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, homie, my main man. Quickly, before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. This is escape, then we're the pod. Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode of Rebels Talk. This is Rebels Talk Part 18, and we are diving headfirst into Season 4 of Star Wars Rebels, Episode 5, 6, 7, and 8. That is Occupation, Flight of the Defender, Kindred, and Crawler Commandeers. So a uh, big thank you to everyone who has stuck with us so far in our journey to uh, Ahsoka with our uh, chronological viewing through Star Wars Rebels. And uh, with me today in the Escape Pod is your esteemed co-host, Blake. And together, we're going to be breaking down these episodes and more, taking you way back to Star Wars Rebels. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back. Hello. Yes. Good to be back as always. We are almost at the very end. Yes. Hello there. And we are almost at the very end of Star Wars Rebels. It's uh, it's been quite a journey, but uh, by the time this episode drops, it will uh, Ahsoka episode one and two will have premiered on Disney Plus. Crazy, crazy to think about. Uh, it is crazy to think about. Yeah, we lost the race. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's a noble effort. We even tried to speed up the recordings, but it was just a release order. Still wouldn't make it in time anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to hard to compete with uh, with Disney when they decide to schedules. Yeah, change the schedule <laughs> like a week before. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, yeah. What the heck is with that? That just threw up threw off so many plans. <laughs> That's so crazy, but um, well, today we got some uh, some some interesting episodes. I wouldn't say they're you know, I mean, standout, but yeah, well, we'll get into it. They're they're all right. Um, season four, episode five, six, seven, and eight. Uh, these were yeah, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. These were uh, these were uh, well, the first two here are actually kind of set because the Rebels Recon episode is actually combining the two together. So what oh. I'll do, yeah, what I'll do is. Um, read the stats for each episode separately and read the description as one paragraph. And then I'm going to mentally combine my notes together here. So, uh, so simultaneously, we're going to be talking about the double special, even though it's not a part one, a part two, um, you know, full spoilers ahead for those of you who have not seen star Wars rebel season four, episode five, six, seven, or eight. Uh, we're now going to be talking about episode five and six together as one and uh, we'll uh, we'll just kind of dive right into it, and uh, you know, make uh, 
make some connections and more as we as we as we've done for the whole series so far and you know i, I i've had a really good time uh going through all this so uh you know looking forward to the next the next set the next set of four mm-hmm. yeah well it's interesting because it's it's feeling more and more of the excitement and pacing that we had towards the end of of the clone war series yeah so it's it, it's funny that now they're even combining the uh, the the rebels recon to put them together because we're getting more arcs even if they're not officially arcs yeah so. it's so crazy because like you know even though so like i you know i'm just i'm trying to remember now which you know we'll, we'll obviously get into just how how good these episodes are but i can tell you straight up right now most of the episodes in season four so far from this point onwards have been really, really good. And mm-hmm. no, I agree. And like it, it, the, the quality difference of the storytelling is just improved so much. And y- you know, it's, it's too bad really because it's the end of the show. And you know, I, yeah. well, well, I think that's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, like I would have liked to have seen this pacing and this just kind of richness kind of delivered, mm-hmm. delivered more consistently throughout the whole series. But uh, you know, I mean, it's a rewarding ending and, you know, the fact that Ahsoka is essentially Rebel season five, you know, as an extension of, of what all goes on on this show, uh, a lot more of what we're going to be getting into over the next couple episodes of Rebels Talk will have a lot more to do with the relevance of that series. So um, I'm really looking forward to just kind of even more so every single time now that we talk about these episodes on Rebels Talk. Uh, the excitement kind of goes up a notch because it has just that much more to do with the segue into Ahsoka. So um, with that said, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Season four, episode five, uh, this is Occupation, and season four, episode six, Flight of the Defender. Air date for both of these episodes was October 30th, 2017. They premiered on the same day, and the director for Occupation was Stuart Lee, the writer was Christopher Yost, and for Flight of the Defender, the director was Saul Ruiz, and the writer was Dave Filoni and Stephen Melching. So, Occupation. The summary reads, The Rebels are informed by Ryder Azadi that the Empire is building a new and improved version of the TIE Defender. Ezra and the Ghost crew depart for Lothal, using Visago to smuggle them in because the Empire has severely tightened its grip around the planet and nearly crushed the local Rebel cell. They find the environment ruined from the Empire's activities, and that some acquaintances, like old Joe, were, who were arrested and executed for aiding the rebels, identified and chased Ezra's crew, finds the unexpected aid from Ezra's old academy friend, Jai Kel, and, his, and Azadi himself, who ferry them to safety, but are sorely disappointed to hear that the Rebel Alliance is unable to execute a liberation strike on Lothal. Ezra tries to stay optimistic by telling them that they can destroy the TIE Defender factory by working together though Azadi remains skeptical due to having witnessed the capabilities of the new TIE Defender. The summary for Flight of the Defender reads, The Ghost crew scouts an Imperial airfield where the new TIE Defender is being tested. Sabine hits upon the idea of stealing its flight data recorder to obtain the information the Rebels need about the TIE, but unfortunately, Grand Admiral Thrawn appears to witness a combat demonstration of the new fighter. Cornered, Sabine steals the fighter to get herself and Ezra to safety, but due to an installed kill switch, the fighter ends up stranded on the hills of Lothal. While hiding the TIE's hyperdrive for a later retrieval, and then trying to evade the Imperial search parties, Ezra catches several unexpected glimpses of a white Lothwolf, a rare predatory species. 
Eventually, the Lothwolf appears before him, sends Sabine to sleep, and carries them back to their friends, only to disappear as mysteriously as it had appeared, leaving Ezra with a strange parting message. Doom to ponder over. And that being said, this is Rebels Recon. In this episode, our heroes finally return to Lothal for good. What do you think this means to Ezra? I think it means a lot to him because he's on home territory, and this is something that he's been talking about since the beginning, mm -hmm. is helping the people of Lothal. This season gets so interesting with what Lothal, the planet, is actually capable of. How the Force kind of lives through Lothal, and the presence of it, it gets even bigger. And it's cool because we're constantly bouncing around, and now to be one place for an extended period of time is going to be pretty fun. We're back on Lothal in the occupation, but the planet's very different from how we left it. How has the Imperial occupation changed since season one? Now Lothal is under martial law, most importantly because it is really sort of a wartime factory. Every resource, every bit of personnel, all of the civilian population is being constricted to work into Thrawn's factories to build a tight defender. A lot of the population, I think, now thought, well, the Empire is giving us safety and security through militarized police force and building these weapons, now they've seen the other side of that, which is that none of that has any interest in actually benefiting them or protecting them because they live a life of fear. And you're never free when you live a life in fear. For Ezra, it's difficult because this is his home, but it's also helping him to focus on what's most important, which are these people that live here and what can he do for them. It was really fun watching the reactions to the trailer where people assumed that the planet that they were seeing wasn't Lothal because it looked so different. Mm -hmm. That is the map painting that we've always used for Lothal. Fall, it's just been updated to have way more cloud cover and sort of fires and everything. It was meant to be completely just ravaged and devastated and burnt. Our heroes finally returned to Lothal for good. What does this mean to Hera? To come back home and defend that land, I think, is important to Ezra and it's grown to be important to Kanan as well. And I think Hera respects that. And it sort of feels like there's so much that's incomplete in this world for them that that feels like a kind of completion. It's satisfying for her and I think she really hopes she can save it. Well, Lothal represents some pretty important things for Zeb, I think. His time on Lothal and meeting Ezra and the crew gave him a sense of normalcy and sort of gave him a sense of family that he had abandoned. I don't think he ever thought he'd feel that again. And so I think he feels a connection to Lothal in a pretty profound way. We see the upgraded and even more dangerous TIE Defender in Flight of the Defender. Yes. What makes the TIE Defender Elite the ultimate starfighter? The speed at which it can move. You get to see the TIE Defender moving like super fast and everyone realizing like, oh my god, this thing could really turn the tide. It's a combination of speed and shields, so you can't just hit it once and blow its wing off. It can take several hits. It's the even more advanced version, which would really wreak havoc for the Rebellion because they're banking on the fact that they have a fewer number of ships, but they last longer. If the Empire had invested more in the Defender than they did in the Death Star program, do you think that the original trilogy would have gone differently? I do. I think it really would have turned the course of everything because they would have had a ship that could actually go in hyperspace, still be as good a fighter as what it was, and I think they personally would have torn the alliance apart. It's a testament to Thrawn's intelligence. Thrawn is really about winning the war. He doesn't want to necessarily destroy his enemies if he can get them to surrender. The Death Star is a tempting thing to destroy worlds. The fear that can inspire to the Emperor and Tarkin and Krennic is a much more persuasive argument than building what they see as fighters. It took quite a 
lucky shot to take down the Death Star in the beginning. No one really was counting on there being a Luke Skywalker. So you never know how Thrawn would have dealt with using the Death Star. It's hard to say. The, the fact of the matter is that a weapon in Thrawn's hand is dangerous. It almost doesn't matter what it is. What went into creating the design of the Love Wolves? First of all, Dave loves wolves. We are all very well aware of how much love Dave has for wolves. So when we found out that wolves were gonna be on the show, it was a huge deal everywhere. Cause it was like, oh my God, we gotta make this wolf and it's gotta be great. Wolves and animals are traditionally very challenging to do an animation correctly. So in production, all of us were very nervous when Filoni brought this up. We had to make sure that the wolves looked realistic, but still stylized in our rebel style. They're pretty specific. Even a Loth cat doesn't necessarily look exactly like a cat. Throughout the movies, a wampa isn't exactly a polar bear or a gorilla, but you can sort of see what the analogy might be. It's sort of always been that way with Star Wars creatures, so the wolves were a little bit more specific than you would typically see. It's this thing that has been dropped right into our show that I think single-handedly added a new pivot point for the direction of the characters as well as the look and complexity of the mm -hmm. show as well, because we had to figure out, well, how do you interact with the fur on the wolf. Hair is really complex because it depends on the animation. Because of our timeline, it's very difficult. We had 416 different controls for the fur on the wolf to be able to move each individual little tuft and everything. Wow. That was sort of the beginning of it. And then we did walk cycles and run cycles. What we finally came up with, I think, really works well. I'm actually really happy with how we finally came up with something. They're a long play as far as what they are. They were a very difficult thing to do because I think that Things like these wolves can be challenging for some viewers. The wolves are definitely tied into something mystical. So there's a lot there, I hope, to unpack and discover. By some people, wolves are seen as a terrible thing and something to be feared, and by others, a positive thing and something that brings balance to the environment. They are almost a nature of the force to me, of a good and an evil and a balance within them. All right, well, there you go. That's, uh, that's the Rebels Recon for both of those episodes. Man, they stole one of my first notes, which was that Dave loves wolves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a big deal to him. Wolves, wolves have always been a huge thing. That's why, was it Commander Commander Wolf is like his favorite clone. That's why he's one of the three that he decided to save. I, th I think he designed him, didn't he? That was like his commander. Yeah, I think he designed the wolf that goes on their pauldrons. If I, I'm, I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I could be wrong about that. Oh, okay. I thought it was more personally. I don't know. Maybe this is just things I've heard. I thought we discussed. So maybe I'm making it up. I guess I thought maybe he had more control. Like he, he designed Wolf from scratch as opposed to the other commanders who I think were more a combination of like him and George. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that would, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I honestly, anything to do with the Wolf in Star Wars, like Dave's probably got something to do with it. <laughs> um, yep for sure it's incredibly nostalgic to i know it's only been like a couple of weeks and we've all seen the show like well you and i have seen the show before multiple times but um you know for those of you who have kind of stuck with our pace you know impressively so uh this entire time it must be very nostalgic to go back to lothal even though it's been a short while uh while we've kind of been watching these these episodes and over the last two months, you know, just kind of powering through the series. It must be kind of nostalgic to be revisiting Lothal in such a different light, you know, in such a different perspective, because the state of this planet is completely destroyed. You know, like the, the Empire's come it's in. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, and we've seen this happen in in Andor. We've seen this happen in in the Bad Batch. We've seen this happen in in uh, Kenobi, I think, as well. And you know, it's just it's a it's a typical kind of Empire thing to to go into a planet and suck it dry and uh, really destroy it in a way. Just yeah, just take all the resources and then just leave it as this empty husk. Right, and you know, it's. Lothal, you know, reminds me of much. Would it say? Does it remind you of you know, like a like the the prairies? I guess would you say? Yeah, it's definitely what they're going for. It's like grasslands and stuff. Yeah. So it's generally a very peaceful place. You know, there's lots of like blowing, blowing grass. Seems like there's a lot of uh, probably farming done on this planet. So mm-hmm. yeah, very pra- prairie like, very Midwest like. Yeah, some without of, the burden of the cold winters. Very, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very kind of open and like peaceful, whole, and yeah, yeah. It's like the, the whole planet is like a big wheat field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's something kind of simple about it. There, I mean, it is simple, but it, there's something kind of mm. contently uh, gratifying about how simple it is. And I think Ezra, being I think born and raised <laughs> there, this this is his home, right? So like seeing it in such mm-hmm. a state of destruction burning and you know there's no more farming going on because it's all dead and gone and you know it's it's almost like a traumatic sight to see you know for someone who connects so deeply on the uh, oh man with this with this environment yeah it's like his his entire home has just been burned and destroyed like i couldn't imagine like i'm just thinking if i were to go back home and there's like a big fire that came through and just destroyed everything like yeah Smoke in the air. The air is black. Oh man, this be fire, fire everywhere. You know, like it'd be hard crazy. to imagine. Yeah, yeah, crazy, right? Like, People are all, you know, in like uh, shelters or have left. Yeah, or dead, executed because they tried to defend their home. You know, anything, right? Oh man, it's crazy. And that's Ezra, hmm. right? And like, and it's it's kind of. Uh, it's it, like, I love the fact that even though, you know, the first season, it's just like, oh, come on, can we just get out of Lothal already? Like, but, you know, but at this point <laughs> in the series, at this point in the series, though, it's a welcome sight. And I think it's only a welcome mm-hmm. sight. That's how it works, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's only a welcome sight, I think, because it's in a different state. Right. Like we remember it to be a certain way. But now it's 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 I think what makes it uh, a gratifying moment is because it's destroyed. You know, it's because we know it to be of a certain, you know, of a certain uh, look. And, and uh, you know, it's... It, like that, we, and I think also we've earned it. Because we spent so much time, almost two seasons on Lothal, especially the first season, I feel like you never left. So it kind of got exhausting. Right. But I think that also created this this relationship with the planet and understanding of the planet and what it's what it's traditionally supposed to be. And so now seeing that distinction and seeing the, just the, the, the vile vileness that the empire has, has cast upon it. It just has like a whole nother uh, level. You have so much more empathy for it because of, of the relationship that you've already built with this planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, the, the sewers are, are, well, they, the sewers show up in this episode, and I don't want to dwell on the sewers, but uh, I noticed that they were empty 
and uh, you know they're they're just these giant tunnels that they're that the main characters, our heroes, are trying to escape through. Did you notice that they referred to it as the sewer and the it was like, there was no water or anything that they were stepping on? I didn't think about that. That's a good point. There's nothing there. It's There's just dry, no... dry tunnels. Because <sighs> like. it's is it Disney, so they can't put like excrement. <laughs> Well, I, well, I would at least expect a, like some water. I mean, like I don't think I don't. I'm not expecting to see like floating excrement in the in the pipes or anything mm-hmm. like that. But like, I mean, however, whatever, that, that would be realistic. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I would expect something like some sort of water or whatever, <laughs> like murky water at least. Just one duty. Just put one duty down there. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, whenever we think of sewers, I think we tend to think of like Indiana Jones and last crusade, right? And he's going through the sewer cave or whatever Yeah. where it's, there's like brick half tunnel and there's a giant flowing stream of, you know, b- bad stuff. And yeah. But yeah, you're right. Instead, it's just this completely it's just abandoned dry. tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I just, I, the only reason why I kind of, where do they call it that? Yeah, well, the only reason why I kind of noticed it was because I think one of the characters, I, don't, I think it was Zeb or somebody, they were like, oh, the sewers, like, yeah. You know, and then they get down there and there's nothing there. I was like, what? <laughs> Anyways. Um, because there's nobody left, so it's all dried up. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I thought was... Maybe that's the first place the Empire burned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, what I thought was cool was um, a returning character to the series was was Jai, uh, Jai Kel. And this was uh, the, the other boy that Ezra befriended in the arc from season one where he goes uh, undercover as an Imperial cadet. And uh, it, was, it was cool to, to see that, that he came back and that he actually kind of stayed on Lothal and managed to kind of work his way into the rebel cell that was happening on, on Lothal. And, uh, you know, it makes me think of Zare and like where he is. And it's been a while yeah, since, just um, yeah, it's been a while since we talked about Zare, Zare Leonis. Uh, but, uh, you know, and a, and a reminder for anyone out there who wants to kind of follow up with that story, make sure you check out the, uh, servants of the empire, uh, uh, junior novel books there's four of them and uh, it overlaps with season two i think and season three and uh, i believe the final book ends between season three and four or uh completely kind of goes off on its own track and could overlap with the events of season four but um yeah i just wanted to throw that out there uh we're not gonna kind of go into depth with that story in the rebels talk series but you know i just wanted to bring it up again you know, now that that Jai has showed up, you know, just a quick reminder, if anyone does want to follow up on that story with with Zare, uh, you know, you know where to look that that the book series is great. I highly recommend it. Um, and that was all I I'm, got. For this I'm first glad one. I'm glad they put Jai in it. But admittedly, even with the uh, the introduction where Ezra's like, oh, Jai, I haven't seen you since whatever. It still took me a second to think about who he who he was. Mm. And he looks what, different. Like when we last saw him, whatever. Well, they, he they looks all different. Look, uh, they all look older. And and this is the fastest I've ever watched this series, so that helped give me context of trying to remember you know, what happened. Right. Last time, the main 
because I, I guess like I've kind of like half paid attention a few times through the show uh, while you know doing other stuff. Yeah. But the last time I really paid attention was release, which means it was like four years apart between season one and season four. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough sometimes with those kind of like one shot characters that show up for a single episode and then they don't show up again for like two seasons and then they're there again. It's like, okay, who's this again? You know? And quite frankly, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. was like that for me. Cause I like, I was watching Game of Thrones as no, it was man. coming out. And, you know, at some point I, got, I couldn't do it, dude. I got just so tired of rewatching all this, the previous seasons again before the new season came out. So I, I've, at some point I just stopped doing that. And uh, and then it was like, oh, my gosh, like, who is that again? Like, <laughs> like what? Why are they there yeah. again? You know, like it was just like it got really confusing because, you know, but I got so sick of I binging gave up. The same, yeah, binging the same show over here. It, it's it's, uh, you know, it's, it sucks. Like I, I can see why somebody would want to wait for a show to finish before starting it, you know, cause I, like I've spoken to people who have told me that, uh, not in relation to rebels or clone wars, but, uh, just in general, like with any series at all, it's like, you know, it's, I, I recommend a show and it's like, Oh, is it done yet? And it's like, uh, no, hmm. it just, just came out. And they're like, Oh, okay. I'll just wait until it's over and then I'll binge it. Like, wow. Okay. I'm going to wait until Disney is done making a star Wars and then just watch all of it at once. <laughs> now that's the spirit <laughs> yeah just never watch star wars again as you're waiting yeah <laughs> yeah well that's that's pretty much all the notes i got for this first section here did you have anything to add on to that or can we should we move on to the next one here we're one thing that really stood out to me is we're we're starting to get more into the relationship between Kanan and Hera. they're kind of you know dropping uh, like little piecemeal little, you know, like raindrops one at a time right drip 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 there's a romance just to remind people mm-hmm. because holy smokes was there nothing for a long time yeah yeah that's that's a very good point um so i'm trying to remember i, I think you're thinking of if, episode they, seven. if this is the episode where yeah, they, we'll, we'll get into that in the next in the next, the next episode. one yeah yeah part two okay. part two of this story arc though flight of the defender um, I only have two notes for this one. Uh, one of them is uh, when Zeb sees the Tie Defender, it's kind of flying around, uh, or sorry, he doesn't. He doesn't see it flying around, but they tell him about it, and he's like, oh, "I'll believe it when I see it," kind of thing. But like, I'm pretty sure that like Ezra fought them that one episode with Harry and the Ghost, and I was trying to remember if Zeb was there, and I, I don't know, maybe he wasn't, but it was like. Well, like, why would he say something like that? You know, it's like, do you seriously not believe? I don't know. Maybe it was just like a. It like doesn't a, seem that far fetched, right? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this or whatever. But it was just like he said. Then I was like, wait, what? Like, did they not tell you about these things like before? Anyways, um, the Loth Wolf, which uh, is kind of the bigger, bigger conversation here. Uh, the Loth Wolf, which hasn't been seen, Ezra says, in hundreds of years probably since settlements arrived on Lothal, is my suspicion. Uh, but it reveals itself to Ezra. Wait, and, does that mean that people haven't lived on Lothal for more than 100 years? I don't the know. The galaxy I mean, is super old. Well, the cave paintings that Ezra finds with Kanan depict the Lothwolves with, uh, with Jedi, you know, once upon a time on the planet. So I suspect, you know, at some point in the age of the High Republic, you know, in the age of expansion, 
that was probably when uh, when the first sort of settlers or or um, kind of people you know came to Lothal and uh, you know began interacting with the wildlife there and you know it's possible my suspicion would be that um, a certain of a certain you know mystical creature you know in the way that it is would probably hide itself away after you know people started showing up you know with ships and farming and this this and that and you know all of a sudden they don't have their massive safari of plains of grass anymore you know to run around freely now all of a sudden someone's growing crops right so like i think i think it's kind of just a it's not necessarily like fact or anything i'm just kind of like throwing a theory out there that maybe that's why they haven't shown up in a hundred hundreds of years you know it's because maybe it's kind of hinting this is when the planet was starting to be settled you know a couple hundreds of years ago I don't think people have been on Lothal for thousands and thousands of years. Like that just, to me, that doesn't sound incredibly. Probably not. Must have just been really simple people for a long time. Right. Right. So I don't know. Like the, 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 the idea that, um, yeah, either that or yeah. Cause it is a farming world. So there's not a whole lot of infrastructure and just the way that the cities are so simple and, and small but not like run down kind of gives me the idea that it is kind of a newer settled planet mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I, th- I thought it was a little interesting piece of information there that he provides but this uh, this wolf though he reveals itself to Ezra and Sabine in a time of need and um, it can sort of because I think that's that kind of shows why they haven't been seen for so long. I think they're so tied to the force that when all this stuff showed up, disturbing, disturbances and maybe, uh, that's what brought them uh, back out again. That. And I think also when everyone showed up, they didn't probably sent them away because they didn't want to be around it. Uh, maybe But now maybe the force is guiding them to come back, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. Right. Um, they can speak too. They, they, they seem to have an ability, ability to kind of whisper sort of words right and it i thought it was such a well crazy... they, can, they can they can only really say Kanan's real name that's it well <laughs> but this one said sleep he said sleep oh, and then, yeah, and then did, sabine sabine falls asleep after after he says this. so he can like kind of whisper a spell like a sleeping spell upon people and it like <laughs> it works like it like these creatures are so kind of out of the bounds of of any kind of mm-hmm. uh, consistency that they really are a, like sort of this mystical kind of wondrous creature that, you know, they're quite fascinating and uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool to see them. Like, you know, I hope we get to see them again at some point, but uh, it's, it's a neat, you know, it's a neat thing. And you know, these, these, they're very spiritual. Like I, I would imagine that they're very like in tune with the will of the force, you know, because like, like you say, like they show up kind of like when Lothal is kind of hitting its, its rock bottom state, you know? And, uh, I wonder if they're also showing up now because there's Jedi, because they might feel the other sense of, of other force users because there hasn't been Jedi on Lothal for a really long time, even with the, the Republic. Right. Uh, probably not since that Jedi temple was being used. Yeah, and so and, maybe that was a hundred years ago. Well, also Ezra has such a special connection with animals, as we've come to to learn. 
very early on in the series. And um, the Wolves, as you kind of hinted just, just before, was, was that they, you know, they, they do have, a, well, they do have a parting message for Ezra, and they say doom. And uh, something to you know, something to ponder over, and we, you know, we will talk about what that is. But, um, but yeah, it's just like it's one of those things. It's like these these animals have a, have a special connection with Canaan, you know, in a in a different way. Um, they also have a special connection with Ezra, and simultaneously, they have an even bigger kind of rooted connection with the planet that they're a part of. And we come to realize what that is in the coming episodes, you know, with how they get around the planet. First off. But then secondly, kind of their, their special cave that they've kind of been hiding out in this whole time. And in addition to that, the connection with that and the Jedi Temple. And we'll kind of get into all that stuff when it comes up in the relevant episode that we can talk about it. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I really like these wolves a lot. And that's pretty much all I got for this episode. So anything to add on that one? Or uh, should we give some Pablo points uh, of poodoos to these guys? Uh two things one small one which was actually for the, the first half of this arc which was they're playing the imperial march over the radio and i'm not sure how i feel about that oh well was it the one from empire strikes back or was it the one that they made for the series the uh what's it called uh oh march march of the empire or something the you know what i'm talking it's about probably like, that one yeah, it's, it's still the, bah, 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 bah. but it was over the radio inside the like the the cantina. So I guess that means the Imperial March is an in-universe song. Well, they have the like. Uh, I think we've talked about this. But I'm not sure if it was on the show. Yeah, we well we talked about it when when they have the parade. I think it's in season one. Uh, Empire. Oh, Day. that's right. Empire. So they, they reused it then. I still feel really weird about it. It's a different key, though. Like it's, it's in a different key. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to pull it up here. So, like the uh, the original. Oh my gosh. Um, let's see here. Glory of the Empire. Is that what it is? Here, let's let's check this out. This one. I think it was more the actual Imperial March. Oh, was it? I think so. It wasn't as a parade It was just kind of like the classic Imperial March. It was a little bit slower than normal. Hmm. Interesting. Was it in the same yeah. key or was it was it a different key? Uh, hard to say now. Hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, well. So, as funny as you telling me that if it's in a different key, then it's in universe because the only other time we've seen that is when they play the emperor's theme at the end of Phantom Menace, but it's all, it's for the Naboo celebration, <laughs> right? <laughs> which yeah. is an in universe song. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. I guess it's just a thing. <laughs> I, I guess so. So good. All right. Um, Pablo Ports of Poodoos, what would you give the set of these? No, I hold on, hold on. One more, one more thing. This is this is a big peeve of mine. Alright. So (laughs) the start of the second episode. We find uh, at least some of the the ghost crew 
are in Ezra's freaking tower again. Why has the Empire not blown this thing up? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a good point because, you know, Callus was there using they it. They just keep to, going there. Yeah, they just keep going back to the same spot. I don't know how they keep on, you know, like, it's like, well, I feel like they would have, like, stuck a camera So the there. only building outside the city. Yeah. Yeah. Something. So anything. Yeah, that's a good point. <sighs> Lazy yeah, I was annoyed by that. I feel like it should have went anywhere else. I get that it's like the only building outside of the cityscape, but that is all the more reason that, that it should be under Imperial Guard. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like that was a that may have been a writer's oversight. Probably. But it did it was definitely uh it stood out a lot to me. Well, we have a pretty iconic scene in the finale episode, which uh is also, I think, maybe in that same spot. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember exactly if it's the same tower or not, but uh, maybe Lofal has a few of these towers. You know, it's like it's like a radio control Like all of them are Ezra's room. <laughs> and all of them have an Ezra in it. <laughs> uh, what, um, what would you rate this episode? Well, I think first we need to explain what Pablo Point and a Pablo Pudu is. Right. All right. So everybody, those of you who have... <laughs> we should uh, probably just record this. <laughs> just play it every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably should. Um, all right. So score system, Pablo Points or Pudus. Um, it's a score of seven. Three Pablo Pudus is the absolute worst of the worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu, and then a Bendu. Bendu, as you know... The one in the middle is 50%. Uh, and then moving up from there, you got one Pablo point, two Pablo points, and three Pablo points. Three being the best of the best of the best. So, you know, in the positive range, you got good, great, extraordinary. In the negative range, you got bad, terrible, and then just exhaustingly the worst thing you've ever seen. So... It's a good way to describe a poodoo. Yeah, that's a poodoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what would you give these ones? They're, they're just as a set. They come as a pair. As a set. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. StarWars.com is selling these as a set on Rebels Recon. So let's, what, what, do, what do we give these guys? Well, it's interesting because I liked it when I watched it, but then seeing the following episodes get better and better, it almost seems less good in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I don't want to take away from how these episodes were um, mm-hmm. because of how good the later ones were. But, uh, you know, I would yeah. say like, well, it's, it's still so much better than the first two seasons. It's not. Yeah. And it's not like bad filler. Like it's good story, right? Like we're now getting rich story happening on Lothal in a way that we haven't before. Mm-hmm. And it, it all has something to do with, you know, the, 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 where this season is going, like where the, the finale is headed. Oh yeah. So it's building, mm-hmm. it's and building defenders and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's building the the action that's kind of taking place right there, and and it's all actually it's not one shot stuff. It's all like you know flowing together. So like I would give this set probably one point five Pablo points. Like, I oh thought, really? I okay, thought I thought it, you yeah. go a little higher than that. It, I I thought it was better than good, but uh, you know I wouldn't say it was great. You know I, I'm not like you know itching to watch Flight of the Defender again. You know mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not itching to watch the 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 runaway you know scene with with Ezra and Jai you know on on uh, 
you know, at Lothal, you know, for, for like another, it, it was, it was good story. It was cool revisiting old places and old characters, seeing the updated, you know, Lothal that we've come to, to know just be absolutely destroyed. Like it had good feeling to the episodes and I think it earns some mm-hmm. bonus points for that, but I don't think like, they're not like exactly great episodes. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take your 1.5. And uh, just with the knowledge of Rebels Recon that they they hand animated the wolves' hair blowing around, they didn't sim that. <laughs> they actually hand animated that. Yeah, that's painful. Uh, it was a little work. So that's that's pretty impressive. So I'm gonna bump it up to one point eight. <laughs> one point eight. All right. All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. And these next two also come as a set on Rebels Recon. So uh, let's talk about these as a pair as well. I think Andy Gutierrez is just getting lazy. Yeah, getting lazy. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to save the the budget on StarWars.com or something. Um, oh, it's because they released on the same day, November 6th, even though they're yeah. one-off stories. Exactly. Yeah. Even though they're... Interesting. So season, this whole season? Season four? Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting because like November 6th, like they, these two came out on the same day on November sixth, and then the previous two both came out on the same day on October thirtieth. So, even though mm-hmm. it was a shorter season, and it seems to me that they're also like kind of rapid firing these things out uh, as quickly. Well, yeah, they're as rushing it for some reason. So, what's interesting is the second part of of this arc. Uh, well, technically, both of these episodes simultaneously but the, specifically the second episode so episode eight crawler commanders uh is the last episode to take place in one bby and uh we're not super far off from the release of the last jedi so my theory is that they were trying to just kind of get the show out as quick as possible so that it didn't distract from the release of their theatrical film, you know, for, for, for or the other way around. Cause this isn't going to, this won't distract from, uh, the last Jedi, but the last Jedi will definitely distract from rebels. Yeah. That, that exactly. Right. So that's just my theory, but you know, who knows? Okay. So let's talk about these as a set. Uh, this is season four, episode seven kindred and season four, episode eight crawler commanders, uh, kindred, came out November 6, 2017, on the same day as its counterpart, Crawler Commandeers. Uh, the director for Kindred was uh, Sergio Paz. Writers included Dave Filoni, Henry Gilroy, and guest stars Warwick Davis. Crawler Commandeers, directed by Bosco Ng, and writers were Matt Mitrovitz and guest stars Seth Green. Uh, Warwick Davis famously... Uh, I believe he plays uh, the character uh, Ruch, which is uh, Thrawn's right-hand man, his assassin. And in Crawler Commandeer, Seth Green, uh, I believe, plays the Weasley Trandoshan, who we meet on the Mining Guild crawler strip, uh, crawler ship. So uh, that being said, let's read some summaries, and then we'll listen to Rebels Recon. So, Kindred. Ezra, Jaikel, and Zeb move to secure the TIE Defender's hyperdrive before the Imperial Recovery Team can find it. But Thrawn has already dispatched an additional helper for the search, Rook, an assassin and unerringly accurate tracker. 
As Zeb takes the hyperdrive to safety, Ezra and Jai end up being chased by Rook. They elude him at, at, with much difficulty, but a tracking beacon Rook attached to their speeder leads Governor Price to the Ghost Crew's hideout. While Hera and Chopper evacuate to Yavin with the stolen flight recorder, the rest of the rebels face the incoming Imperials to cover their retreat. Just before the two groups clash, the white Lothwolf reappears and leads them into a hidden tunnel complex imbued with the Force. Walking mysterious paths, the rebels inexplicably find themselves in a hidden settlement halfway across the planet, which was visited in ancient times by the Jedi who erected the secret temple on Lothal and discovered that the Lothwolf is a messenger of the Force, here to tell them of a more sinister goal pursued by the Empire. Crawler Commandeers After the Lothal rebels have taken shelter in the ancient settlement, they discover a mining guild or a crawler, stripping Lothal's surface for raw minerals uh, materials passing by, and decide to hijack it to establish contact with Hera and the Yavin rebel base with its communicators. However, the crawler's captain shuts down the vehicle and raises the alarm, and as Sabine works to reactivate it, Cannon and Zeb discover a number of slaves in the hull, among them Vizago, who was sold to the guild by the Empire. Working together, the rebels and the former slaves waylay an incoming Imperial patrol investigating the distress call and prevent the captain from destroying the crawler. In the meantime, Hera, unwillingly to wait any longer, inspires Rebel Command to conduct an immediate assault on the factory where the TIE Defender is being produced. And after communication is established, Ezra's team agrees to coordinate the impending assault from the planet's surface. Note, this is the last episode to take place in one BBY. That's one year before the Battle of Yavin. So we are officially less than a year, technically, before the events of Rogue One. Uh, That being said, this is Rebels Recon. Old school fans would likely recognize Thrawn's assassin Rook from the classic Mm. Thrawn trilogy books. Maybe. How was it decided to bring another Legends character into the series? I mean, once you start with Thrawn, it kind of sets off some dominoes, and we needed another character that wasn't a force-wielding character, so we decided on Rook. It wasn't an easy choice, you know, because it's not really a good idea of what he looks like. There were a lot of interpretations. We actually did a complete pass that was green. He looked a lot more like a T-Rex, but Filoni had this idea. He was thinking more creepy and skeletal, and he wanted Ruck to be sort of wiry and menacing in a way that was different to an Inquisitor or a Vader. So we actually went back and went more in this sort of gray, alien, spooky, pale-eyed sort of direction. I remember talking to Killian about him when we first started designing him. We were figuring like does he more like do like a four-legged thing like does he actually like run like a gorilla we kind of went with that as his sort of basic idea for his locomotion that he's much more animal like so you'll see a lot of times that he'll be going from four legs to two legs he'll be grappling onto things like a monkey to kind of give him a little bit more of a creature kind of feel and less of like a normal biped human assassin we were finessing the fine points of Rook all the way deep into lighting. Even though the design was great, the assets great, as soon as we get him into lighting, that's where kind of things kind of pop up. One of them is his button nose. Before, the button nose used to be a little bright, and it made him look a little too cute. 
and Dave had the immediate reaction of let's just darken the nose. So we had to go and in the color gray just darken his nose there. Mm -hmm. But just by doing that just added so much more menacing fear to his face with his expressions. What else can you tell us about Rook and his species? What kind of culture do they have? The Nogri are very honor based. They're the size of Jawas but they're like deadly so they're really more like ninjas than they are brutes. The key thing that they had in the books is this incredible sense of smell. They could actually tell your lineage by sniffing you. They could figure out what your bloodline is if you were related to someone. In this case we we really just tried to project that as Rook being a tracker. We finally got Warwick Davis yes. into Rebels. <laughs> What's it like working with Warwick as a voice actor? He is incredible. Oh, it was such a pleasure to record him. He was great because he gave a very nuanced performance with his voice, but he's also incredibly physical. So we recorded his physical performance as well, and we gave that to the animators. So a lot of the subtle nuances he made with his face and his body, you'll actually see reflected in Rook. He is supremely knowledgeable as an actor as you could want. He has such a breadth of experience behind him to draw from. It's when your days are easy as a director because anything you give an actor like him, he will just take and make pretty incredible. There is a legacy in Star Wars that goes beyond just the stories and the characters to the people behind the scenes that have been a part of this. And he's definitely been a gigantic part of Star Wars and why I think people love it. So it's just always fun when they can continue to be included in uh, the magic here. We get to see Zeb finally meet his match in a fight in this episode. What's your process for recording all these grunts and groans needed for this sort of performance? The grunting and groaning is something I started out with. My very first gig was as a creature going, <laughs> you got to be willing to look ugly. Yeah. That is the secret to all efforts at being gross as you possibly can. How exactly does the mining guild work with the Empire? The mining guild has all the equipment and gear required to exploit planets. They're kind of this independent agency that the Empire hasn't completely taken over. Well, they're brought in to strip the place all the resources and they're just there making money. They right. don't see it as villainous. They're just doing their job. Captain Seafor is kind of an interesting character. Can mm. you tell me a little bit more about his origins? He was voiced by the fantastic Seth Green. He's so good. He was phenomenal. He came in and we didn't really know what the voice was going to be like and Seth gave us a couple of options and the minute we heard that voice it was like perfect. That is Captain Seavor. Trandoshans in general are fun to design because once you get past the idea that they all have to look just like Bosk, it's wide open. They can be anything as long as they're lizards. There's actually a massive amount of just visual diversity that you can try within any one given species in Star Wars and come up with really fun, different characters that don't break any rules and are just as believable and interesting as anything that you've seen in the movies. This episode made a lot of online fans very happy. Including me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us were waiting for Kanan and Hera to finally kiss. What took them so long to finally get to this point in the relationship? They've had a history together, but Hera was very focused on the rebellion. I think in a different time, in a different world, maybe they really would have explored more of that. But I think as the circumstances grow even more dire and it becomes even more dangerous, I think the attraction increases as well. I think they've had other priorities and have not been able to be romantic with one another, but I do think that that feeling is there. They really help each other, and I think that for a long time, we just didn't want this relationship to get in the way of how they were developing as characters. It's evolved the way that it should and we were just very careful about it. It's suggested every now and then that they have more of a history in the past, but we'll have to wait and see what it means in their future. Alright, well, hey, there's Dave confirming that, you know, they haven't exactly had a crazy romantic relationship in the past. So we got our first episode where that's starting to come out, you know? 
Yeah, I guess they had to explain it because the we've we've mentioned so many times where this was already kindled in the the book before the first episode, mm-hmm. and then was just completely dropped until yep. I'd say probably season three. Yeah, one one moment and then dropped again until season four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have an even bigger complaint though, and uh, I'll actually I'll I'll save it for the next Rebels talk that we do because it's more relevant for that one. Mm-hmm. But just going Ooh, forward, foreshadowing. Yeah, going forward though, I'd like everyone to remember this is the only and first time in the series that we've ever seen them show romantic you know uh what's the word i'm looking for like notations no no yeah notions or, or yeah intentions for, to one another intentions yeah which gives yeah. me it, it provides me the idea in that scene you know when when that happens it provides me the idea that this has not happened behind the curtain this is like we're watching this moment unfold similarly to a Leia Han moment in Empire Strikes Back, you know, like I think that's supposed to be the moment here because Sabine taps as Zeb on the shoulder, and, and you know, and they kind of look over, and it's like I think that's supposed to be it. Like this is supposed to be kind of that gateway. They're finally through the door, you know. We're we're rooting for them as a, uh, uh, you know, as Andy was saying, you know, uh, like a a couple, I guess, right? Um, but I, I have a complaint about it. And it's relevant to the next episode only. So I'll save it. But ah, all right. All right. Yeah. Man, just leave me hanging there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you'll 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 get it as soon as we start talking about it in the next in the next episode. But yeah, it is what it is. Um All right, I'll, I'll hold out. Rook, uh or Rook as uh, Thrawn pronounces it, is mm-hmm. uh Anagri. And you know, it, I all I could think about, because Dave is such a Lord of the Rings fan. All I could think about this entire time, anytime I saw this guy, was just how golemy he is. Like he's such yeah, a yeah, he's kind of kind of schmeagly. Yeah, he's got such a schmeagly kind of golemy kind of look and feel about him. He runs on all fours, but he stands on two. Right. You know, he he can climb really well. He's got a crazy good nose. He's very <laughs> very creature like. He's got the buggy, buggy Man, eyes. Describing Gollum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, plus they make all these uh, like in one of the episodes at least. Like Zeb is cracking ugly jokes about about <laughs> about Rook, right? And they're like, huh, "What is that thing?" Like, <laughs> you know, they, they take one look at him as like they're looking at an ogre. It's like, uh, but it reminds me of that scene where like Frodo's like Gandalf. What is that? <laughs> what does he say? What does he say? You know, he's just like. Um, what was he talking? Is he, it was the he's one he, talking when he about sees Smeagol? He's yeah. seeking after them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's when they, when they're in the caves, right? Doesn't he say like what, what, what is that, or something? You know, it, what is that vile creature? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he most he mainly says like something's following us. Yeah, yeah. Then, so yeah, right, right. And then uh, Gandalf Conway explains and. Also mentions uh, how Bilbo ran into him, and then Frodo's like, oh, "I pity him." Yeah, <laughs> but also when Bilbo runs into him for the first time, like he's creeped mm-hmm. out. Like this dude is, you know, he's ugly. He's just like he's hideous to look at. He's a monster. And you know, there's some uh, 
I mean, there's some story there as to why that is, of course. But like, I think you know, the unfortunate part of uh, Rook is he's just born that way. So <laughs> you know, he's, a, <laughs> he's true. not an attractive alien species, that's for sure. And they kind of designed him. You know, they talked extensively about how they designed him to be that way. But well, I would not want to visit the planet that he's from, man. Like, you know. So I didn't realize because I hadn't read the Thrawn trilogy in a long time. Yeah. That. He is actually a character from the Throne Trilogy, and his race is from the Throne Trilogy. Yeah, from the original EU Legends trilogy, that is. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, in the original story, right, the, the Legends continuity, I believe it's mm-hmm. Rook who actually kills Throne. Yeah, that's right. So I pulled up the Wikipedia because I was curious here. And, um, just a little little bonus moment here. So when I, I was trying to get the spelling right, the first thing that came up was was Bodhi Rook. I'm like, oh, that must be it. Click on it and Bodhi. That's that's, that's, that's the pilot Rogue One. Cargo pilot. It's both called Rook, apparently. I think I could do that impression. That was kind of funny. Bodhi. Rook. Rook. Cargo pilot. Pocket. Yeah. Squadron. What squadron? Uh, rogue squadron <laughs> um so yeah, what anyway uh, let me read let me read this backstory of rook here from the eu real quick because that was sure, really yeah. interesting so rook was a male nogri warrior who served as a personal bodyguard and then later the assassin of grand admiral thron raised at a time when his homeworld hungor hanagor was ravaged by ecological disaster, Rook was fiercely loyal to the Galactic Empire, which claimed to be working to restore the planet. But in this is as an actual fact, the Empire actually poisoned the planet, which is interesting because I think that was reused in the Princess Leia novel. Anyway, um, after serving as one of the one of Emperor Palpatine's Nogri Death Commandos, Rook was handpicked by Thrawn in nine. ABY to serve as his bodyguard traveling the galaxy aboard excuse me aboard Thrawn's flagship the Imperial class starts from Chimera uh, a deadly and stealthy warrior Rook was often at Thrawn's side while the Grand Admiral waged his his military campaign against the New Republic he was present with Thrawn during several important missions including the recruitment of the dark Jedi uh, Joris Kaboth on the planet Wayland Rook accompanied Thrawn to Honegar to interrogate the Nogri after his failure to capture Princess Leia Organa, and Rook un- unsuccessfully attempted to stop the Jedi Luke Skywalker from breaking the smuggler. Anyway, this, it, it goes on and on. But I did not realize that this was a character that was in the novel for so long. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm reading. I just read it. Read a little bit ahead, and uh, it it does confirm he does he does kill. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. He drives his assassin's knife through Thrawn's chest and kills mm-hmm. him. Um, yeah, because he he I believe it's because he finds out that uh, the Empire, which was saying they were restoring the Nogri homeworld, actually were the ones that poisoned it in the first place, um, and then came in as the saviors from their own their own uh, poisoning to come in and offer help uh, yeah. in exchange for. Uh, recruiting them as as these uh, these commandos, right? Yeah, it says I might be getting a bit mixed up. No, so no, this, you're 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 right. It says in Rook this su- novel, 
Yeah, it says Rook soon mm-hmm. learned that Thrawn was not actually restoring uh, Hanagri, but was secretly keeping it in a state of poor health so that the Nagri would remain perpetually indebted and effectively enslaved to the Empire. So he was so furious about this that he, killed, right. he killed the Grand Admiral. Yeah, but this story is like, this is yeah. the EU Legends continuity, of course, for anyone who's confused. So, you know, they kind of skip over all that stuff and they just assume that none of that kind of fits into the current canon. Like, they've ignored all that. We don't really know what canon backstory Rook has or his home home world, you know, or maybe what it's called because, you know, they could rename it to something else. So uh, who knows? But yeah, what, what, what were you saying? Sorry, before about the, about the book. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I think I might be wrong about this, but I think I might be getting mixed up with the Leia novel because I think in this, the rebellion tries to help and Princess Leia is leading it. She's trying to convince them that the Empire's behind poisoning and help whatever. But they don't trust her because they find out she was related to Darth Vader. I might be getting that mixed up. I'm not sure if they reuse that or I think not you in might, the new yeah, novel. Maybe. Um, I don't recall these species showing up in Bloodline, but you might be referring to some elements that mm-hmm. showed up in Bloodline. Oh, no, sorry. I, I mean, just the, the storyline with Princess Leia being found out to be related to Darth Vader. Yeah, that was uh, the focus of the story, the canon book in, in Bloodline, but um, I don't recall uh, any kind of planet with poisoned or, or anything. Like that. It, it, was, it was about a planet that was actually trying to recruit forces for uh, like a militia, which was supposed to hint at the fact that the First Order was kind of building resources on other planets somewhere. But, um, yeah, that's sort of a, a non-Thrawn-related incident. But if that's what you're thinking of, that is. Yeah, it might be. It's yeah. been a while. I need to reread these books. They're really good. I've read them twice, but it's been, man, years. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so what ship is that that they're, that they're riding around in? Like the one that Ryder has? The one that Ryder's riding in? The speeder? <laughs> The speeder. Oh, it looks like a U wing, but without the big, huge fin wing things. The scissor, the scissor wings. It, it looks like a U wing without those. Like what? Like, do you know what that is? I think it is that. No, I think it is that. I think just the wings are in the. Uh, I don't know what they call it because I don't really know why this the wings move back. So, well, the, I don't know if that moves faster. Yeah, I or, honestly I have no but, idea. Yeah. It's in the forward position, right? The, the, it's a Ewing with the wings in the forward position. But that's the thing is like the wings aren't there. Like the, there's like some little, it almost looks like a snow speeder with the bottom half and the back half of a Ewing. So it, it's, it's, it's so weird looking that I was like, man, I, I, I wonder, I wonder what that is. And uh, here, I'll, um, hold on. Let me, just, let me just send a photo here. Cause I didn't notice that. But I did notice that it only has two of four engines. Yeah, so if you if you take a good look, it's like there's no there's no scissor wings on this thing because the Ewing, when the wings are forward facing, they oh, yeah. stick out quite far, right? But then when the Ewing mm-hmm. has the wings behind them, it's it's kind of trailing like these uh like these fins on the back, right? But this this ship doesn't have either. Like it's kind of it's like a it's like yeah. a U-wing without the wings on it. So I was wondering like what it is and they don't refer to it as anything in the episodes themselves. Um 
Just modifying. However, oh, 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 I think I found it. It, it is calling it a U-wing. It says, at the rebel yeah, camp, Sabine Wren states that she should just be able to install the hyperdrive on Ryder Azadi's U-wing, but that's since the ship, uh, but that since the ship is old, it may not work. Okay, but okay, so if it is a U-wing though, like why does it look so different compared to the ones that we get in? It's got shorter wings. Is that all? So they don't, they just don't stick out as far. Yeah, because even in the, if this is real, maybe this is a fan made one, but it, it, this looks, I found like a model of the ship of this specific U Wing, and it appears to be from the X Wing game by FFG. And it has the short wings that we see in the, in the like V position where it's behind the ship. So it looks, if this is real, this might be a fan made thing. Okay, because I found a Wikipedia entry called UT-60D U-Wing Starfighter, and it's got the really, really long wings and four engines. So that must be the one that we get mm-hmm. in Rogue One, right? So I'm guessing maybe yeah. that this is just like also, a different class. Yeah, that's also... We also see it in Rebels when it's flown by Saw. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, the subtext to the picture of it's a screenshot of when the Ewing lands on Yavin in front of Mon Mothma, and it's referred to as an older model Ewing landing at Masasi Base. So it it seems to me that it's a type of Ewing that is undescript. It's like undescribed, at, like model wise. Um, mm-hmm. But hey, if anyone out there listening knows exactly what this is, like what model it is, and kind of more more about it, you know, definitely shoot us an email with the link to the Wikipedia page because it would be cool to read up about it. Um, just noticed it was so different hmm. than the standard U-ring, but uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a unique... It's an older model, sir, but it checks out. It's an older model, but it checks out, sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the space station things above Lothal are super cool, and they're called construction spheres. So when uh, when they escape Lothal, you know, with this hyperdrive thing, uh, did you notice there's these giant kind of UFO-looking space station things with these arms sticking out? They're basically like space cranes. And is that what it is? I was wondering because yeah. they have to fly past them when they're trying to escape. They are, yeah. So they're but basically. I didn't know what they were. Yeah, they're space cranes, and there's a two fun facts here for you. So in Rogue One Catalyst, the novel Catalyst, uh, a Rogue One novel, they were first identified in the book as orbitable, uh, orbital command habitats. So they were, they were referred to as a different name in the book, but they're intended to be the same thing. So space cranes, construction spheres, orbital command habitats, they're all the same thing, and they look like that. And the second fun fact is Ralph McQuarrie designed these Oh, what? And drew them uh, as um, objects floating in space that were assisting in the construction of the Death Star. Which is so interesting to me to, to see Ralph McQuarrie painting pictures of an incomplete Death Star. Because, uh, you know, I believe these are, you know, images for A New Hope, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe in some early drafts, maybe it just wasn't finished. So I think it's really cool that in Rogue One, they actually make an effort to visually depict them still putting the final touches on the Death Star because it, it takes place so close to the events of a New Hope 
that it sort of honors the original artwork that depicted this thing as an incomplete project. And uh, the, the space cranes are such a great idea because it really kind of fills in a bit of gaps. You know, when we talk about Wookiees built the Death Star and Geonosians built the Death Star and, you know, slaves built the Death Star and rob- like small robots and droids that we saw in episode three at the very end of the movie. But, you know, the big panels, you know, those that you know, just kind of did a lot of the big, huge kind of construction work sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's these giant basically floating space cranes called construction fears. So you got a good look at those surrounding Lothal in this episode. So I thought it was pretty neat. Hey, this show, I feel like it, it's, it was, it wasn't really written to be a show to uh, explain going into a new hope. It was a show just to use all basically just, just take stuff. all of Ralph McQuarrie's designs that weren't used and put them on screen. Oh, uh, to- like 110%. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Man, there's I'm just looking through Ralph McQuarrie art here, and I didn't realize how many of, the, of his designs they took and put into the sequel trilogy. Yeah, what the heck? A decent amount, yeah. Yeah, so it's like the X-Wing, the T-70, the new version. That's the original design that Ralph McQuarrie did. Yeah, I remember that was a big deal when they revealed the that ship. Yeah. When, when they revealed that ship on... Uh, I think it was J.J. Abrams. He was doing like a promotional thing, you know, when they were still shooting the movie. And they they showed a a full-size kind of X-Wing that they built, you know, with uh, Oscar Isaac was hanging off of it. And I think they had J.J. Abrams there. He was taking a photo. And uh, they made an effort to really hype up the idea that, you know, we're going back to the original, original, original version of Ralph's designs. And... You know, this is like an improved version. Now it only needs two engines instead of four. And, you know, it was pretty cool. It, and it it's is a four. It's a, it's a cool looking. Well, yeah, four. But it's like when the wings are closed, it looks like looks like two. Right. Next. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's like yeah, it's exactly. a pretty neat. It's a neat design. And, you know, like I, that's that's something I did actually like about the movie was, you know, they, 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 did they pulled that, that design work. Yeah. It's always yeah, cool the other big that. one. The other big big one I'm looking at here is the original design for the Death Star. I'm looking at the artwork with the Y-Wing flying towards it. The Death Star here looks like uh, what's it called? The, the, the planet in the uh... planet. Planet oh. where? Well, yeah, what's the name of it now? Uh, Starkiller Base. It looks like Starkiller, like the Starkiller Base laser as opposed to the death star oh yeah yeah um they they actually did reuse uh this element with the y-wings in one of the later uh later clone wars episodes i think uh when they attack the uh that big huge base on uh, the planet which ends up being blown up in star wars rebels and we never find out how it blew up but there, there's like a big huge planetary like bomb in, in that thing it's, it's the episode with mace windu and and obi-wan and uh and anakin and it's the final episode mm-hmm. that we see uh the spider guy uh what's his name again? oh right yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about He's a cy- the cyborg spider alien. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. 
It was all the way back from season one. Yeah. He's still there. Exactly. Trench, Admiral Trench. Um, the, the design, mm. the design for the Y wing flying towards that big, huge death star in the Ralph McQuarrie drawing. They, they pretty much reused that shot. I, I believe, uh, at some point in that episode and they kind of like stylized something on that planet after it, I believe. I could be thinking of a different episode, but I'm pretty sure it was that one. But um, the wolves and uh, the cave and Canaan, you know, the magic of the cave traverses them to the other side of the planet. And it almost looks like a hyperspace effect, like while they're kind of traveling through the force. But uh, well, bit early, but it looked to me like, hold on, I got to I, I got to hit the thing. This might be spoilers for, for this show for later down the road. Yeah. To me, it looked like they're in the world between worlds. Yeah, yeah. It looked like the world between worlds, but like, you know, it, it, it's um, world between worlds. Like, you know, you get lots of like blues and like then streaks and then you get like the starry effect and, you know, it, you hear all the voices and, um, you know, it, it's it was it was cool. Like and, and when they come out the other side, they're like, oh, what did you, you know? So even Sabine was like, did you hear those voices? So it's unclear whether or not they all heard the same voices, because I like I think the voices mm-hmm. that we were hearing, they were mm-hmm. all of like Ahsoka and Kanan. And I assume, you know, we're seeing it from Ezra's point of view. But, uh, you know, it's possible Sabine heard those same voices as well. Uh, if not, maybe. Maybe she heard somebody else. Who knows, right? Like they they all kind of had like their own moment, you know, as they kind of daisily traversed through the world between worlds on the backs of these loth wolves. So it was pretty cool. And uh, the the wolf who speaks to Kanan walks back into the wall and disappears. And uh, you know when they di- when it disappears into that cave wall, we see a drawing of the Jedi Temple on Lothal with a big crack in it. Um, and uh, kind of like drawings on the outside and, you know, the crack almost kind of appearing to me like a doorway. So I was like, that, that's pretty cool foreshadowing. This whole episode was really, really well done, you know, in terms of foreshadowing kind of what is to come in the next like four, three or four episodes of, of the show. So. Uh, yeah, that is a good point. Very interesting. Very cool. There's yeah. a lot of foreshadowing, like force spookiness in this series i'm noticing yeah there like is. bendu also did the same thing for thrawn right yeah yeah totally yeah they're, they're getting a little better about kind of planning ahead i think you know with, with some of the stuff um i'm gonna jump ahead to the next one uh just to kind of finish off our, our arc here and they they find after they kind of come out of that cave you know they see a big uh, ore crawler and this ore crawler reminded me so much of the original Gendy Clone Wars series. There's a short that happens in volume one of Star Wars Clone Wars. And it's a, it's a short with Mace Windu kind of jumping up onto... He's in the plains of this grasslands uh, planet. And there's a boy on the hill with a small hat kind of watching this whole event transpire before him and there's thousands upon thousands of battle droids like in this giant field fighting clone troopers and so on and so forth and mace windu just kind of like dives into the the midst of it you know tearing up droids and stuff like that and then this giant like kind of beige colored hovercraft which is shaped very similarly to 
the ore crawler that we see in this episode, but even bigger, comes along and it has this big, huge like thing underneath it, which stamps the ground and it causes like a giant like uh, tidal wave of dirt and dust and wipes out clones and droids alike. And uh, all I could think about was that episode of, of or that, that short, you know, of Star Wars Clone Wars, which is no longer canon, but is, you know, the Gendi, everybody who's of a certain age, you know, will remember the, the original Clone Wars cartoon. Oh, network. yeah. I'm completely, as soon as you started talking about the original Clone Wars, I knew exactly what you were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you, like, so you oh, know what I'm talking about, that, that machine from the Mesa Windu, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That. Yeah, so, so like, it, it just reminded me so much of that, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And um, what did you think of the little Trandoshan? You know, the Seth Green plays the scrawny one. Scrawny, weaselly Trandoshan. I thought he was so funny, like, just it's not often that we see a, a skinny scrawny trandoshan they're normally depicted as quite large creatures that could like fight a wookie or something but yeah well that's what they often do right yeah, this, they're neighboring planets and this guy enslave all the wookies but yeah. yeah this guy was just being yeah, tossed just, around like a like a rag doll by everybody you know it's it quite funny i was trying to remember if we've seen a trandoshan like this before uh yeah we've seen so many we've seen quite a variety i mean even sid right sid is sid is a very different looking trandoshan as well but we've seen quite the variety i don't think i've ever seen one quite like this like this this guy was quite funny he's got got his feet up on the dash you know listen to the zeb rock song (laughs) listen to tunes yeah yeah it's so funny listen to jedi rocks yeah what i thought was so ridiculous though is he's such a problem through this whole episode, and all it could have taken was just a lightsaber through the back of his chair, or or uh, you know a, a, a typical Zeb clobbering over the head, you know. But his his eventual death is hilarious. You know, he just kind of trips on the the hilt of Ezra's lightsaber, unactivated by the way, and then falls like you know back first into a into a well, refinery. You're skipping ahead there, but yeah, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like, I get why they didn't attack him outright because he was unarmed and distracted. It's not very Jedi-like. As for Zeb hitting him in the head, I mean, it makes that would have worked, and he did it later. But it was it didn't you know keep him incapacitated. Yeah. As for the death scene, though, yeah, Ezra was comically happy about him dying, which I thought was very uncharacteristic of a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, Vizago shows up in this episode again. It's been a while since we saw him. Yeah, I was we, not expecting that. We sort of forgot about him, didn't we? Like, you know, he gets captured by the Empire, mm-hmm. and it, they all the, all the rebels are running away. They'll be like, oh, he'll be all right. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's a good guy now, it seems. You know, he calls them friends, and he's happy when they show up to... to he thinks he's, he's... You know, they came for him kind of thing, but it's like a happy accident. Uh, what do you think of his character transformation? You know, this is the end of the story for... Is it for, transformation, though? Well, I, he was a bit I of... I feel a, like it was more... He he was very slimy. Yeah. Like, he was a, even a slaver, right? And then we'll get to this point. I think he just... Because he helped him get to the planet and he knows they're, they're good people that were going to get him out. I don't think he's necessarily changed his ways. I think he just was expecting opportunistic 
save you like to be saved by them basically like they'd feel bad and they come get them out sort of situation well when he helps out the rebels initially to get them to lothal in the first place like he you know he he pulls a pretty big solid for them but he's um he just seems a bit more cheery cheerful you know he's just like a less kind of that's true sh- but shady why? and depressed a little bit like he's no longer like well that's the thing is like i don't really know uh, it just seems like something's changed in him as a character. And it just seems a bit different. But anyways, um, the attack is approved by the end of this episode by the Rebellion. Uh, the defenders must be destroyed. You know, Hera convinces the Rebellion that this is a, a tactical move that they must pull off. And in the Rebels Recon episode, you know, maybe the one of the last things we can touch up on here before we wrap up is kind of how the defenders really could have changed the entire course of the war. Uh, because something, a really interesting point that they made was the rebellion relies completely upon the idea that even though they have less ships, they can last longer in battle because they have the hyperdrives, they've got shields, you know, and ideally they have better pilots, right? And Thrawn's whole thing is let's make better ships so that even our pilots can do well in battle, last longer, and, you know, with the money behind the Empire, you know, they can mass produce these things and completely overwhelm the fledgling rebellion fleet, right? So his tactics are really, like, you know, well thought of, right? Like, like, I, like I, think, I think the rebels would have lost if they had TIE defenders defending the Death Star instead of TIE fighters, I think, I don't think uh, maybe they would have, wouldn't have made it, right? But then, of course, there's Luke Skywalker's the, the wild card there. Like, maybe it, you know, still would have happened. But it's just like one of those things that you just kind of gets you thinking. It's like, oh, how different would have things ended up if, if they did have these vehicles at their disposal in the masses, right? That's a good question. It's funny that the the writers of the show actually think that the rebellion would have failed if Thrawn had gotten his way with these ships and got them into full production. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, another thing to add on to that is, you know, with how we know the show to end up, right? And, you know, we don't need to talk specifics, but clearly, as we already know, Thrawn's not around for the events of the original trilogy, but he's popping back up again, as we've seen in the Ahsoka trailer. So his absence of the events of the original trilogy have devastated the Empire. You know, like, without him, without their master tactician, the Empire has essentially lost the war. And I think if the Empire had Thrawn throughout the events of the movies that we're familiar with, you know, in another life, that is, things could have gone very differently for Palpatine, you know, for his... Oh man, for his I didn't plans. even think of all that. Right? You know, not, mm. that's not even so, that's not even mentioning the the like we already talked about the absence of the Tie Defenders and how that changed the game. Thrawn alone is also like a huge loss. Like without him, they 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 could have done so much better if he, if they did have him around, but they didn't. And so, and, and and they lost Tarkin as well. That's true. They have lost basically all of their their main leaders by the time we get to uh, episode six. Yeah. 
see help yeah i think palpatine kind of commands the whole thing himself right because all other than that i guess all you really see is well he's got other moths i mean we'll let Admiral you know like yet well we yeah 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 we, we've got other moths out there you know clearly you know moff gideon is one of them uh but they're they're lesser known people and they're still they're they're moths right like you know Tar, mm-hmm. tarkin is 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 a what is he? He's a grand. He's a what is he again? Grand Moff. Yeah. He, yeah. He's Grand Moff, right? Yeah. Grand Moff. Yeah. Tarkin. He was the first Grand Moff. So if you read the Tarkin novel, he gets to design the the uniform because he was the first one. Right. So he's Grand Moff. They lost him. They lost their Grand Admiral. You know, they lost their Grand Inquisitor. <laughs> they lost mm-hmm. all their Grand people. And uh, you know, I think that really kind of one by one that kind of affected them very heavily and without the events of of or without the uh presence of thrawn in the imperial ranks i think truthfully i think that's kind of what helped the rebellion win the war is that the empire didn't have their most valuable asset that's a good point because he disappears more or less yeah mm, but as soon as the, re- the rebellion really starts to take off is when thrawn disappears so it's really the like the worst possible time exactly for the empire so it benefited the rebels extensively oh for sure yeah and the time that he's been i'm just going- wondering then if if so i was just saying <laughs> i wonder then if that makes ezra more of the the chosen one than anakin <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, who knows? You know, and like, <laughs> that's the thing is like, as we know the series to wrap up, I mean, maybe we can just kind of briefly spoil it. Cause like, I think you mentioned it last time on the, on the podcast anyways, about all the arm, the cold embrace, but um, Ezra and Thrawn are, are sent out into the great unknown, you know, and if Ezra essentially sort of creating a bit of a sacrificial moment in the end. And uh, it's just, it's just kind of, it takes them out of the picture. Right. And uh, they can't be in the picture because there's not supposed to be another Jedi in the picture while Luke is around. And uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, because he's such a big player, you know, he can't be floating around either because that would that would change the the logic of what's going on in the original trilogy. So how do you do it? Right. And, and I think Dave's best option to get for, rid of him somehow Ahsoka yeah. as well. Yeah, and exactly, Ahsoka as well, because that's the whole, the whole like, you know, and we'll get into that, of course, when that comes up, but like the whole world between worlds thing, like you mentioned before, like, you know, and with the ability to kind of tra- travel through space and time, as we've seen demonstrated in this, in this, in these episodes here with the wolves, taking them from one side of the planet to the other, it's, uh, it kind of changes the game a little bit as, as far as like how they can kind of get these characters out of the way so that it doesn't change what we already know to happen in these movies that we, we have known for 40 years now, but to also create new stories with these new characters and, you know, EU legends characters bring back into Canon earlier points in time and really just kind of allowing them to be absent from those stories and then bringing them back in again for, for uh, this show for us, for Ahsoka. Right. So, that's part of the reason why I started off with this episode, you know, saying a lot of what happens here, you know, we're, we're going to be segueing into Ahsoka so easily, so nicely, because, you know, there, like already we've talked about, you know, just all of this stuff with Thrawn's absence and the TIE Defenders, 
you know, it's like, I feel like, oh, I feel like, uh, it's something that we can kind of perhaps see some sort of consequence, you know, when, when these characters show up again, because really that's sort of the follow-up, right? Um, and you know, like we only have one shot of, you know, Lars Mikkelsen as, as Thrawn as his character and he looks fantastic, but I just can't wait to, you know, see kind of what he's been up to. It's been 10 years, you know, it's been 10 years since he, since he and Ezra kind of go away and like, I'm sure we'll get into this more in the finale of the, of the Rebels show, but um, and on top of that, like this is now in the the era that the original Thrawn trilogy took place in. So yeah. from that perspective as well, is I think very exciting to see. Uh, it, it, I would I'd still say that the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn is some of my my favorite Star Wars novels. Mm. So I'm quite excited to see if they take the opportunity to to maybe head towards recanonizing some of the, the the better EU stories. Oh yeah, that would be so cool. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing I wanted to mention that you know, on, your, on your whole spiel here, you you talked about how they need to get rid of the the Jedi so Luke can show up and be the only one. That because of how tightly this timeline is, it's kind of annoying that it's like they have Ezra and Ahsoka and Kanan and they're all at Actually, I'm not sure Ahsoka's at right now because she's she's disappeared after the fight with Vader. But she was part of the rebellion, and now Kanan and Ezra are are still around, and they're at Yavin base, and then they disappear, and then what? Like the next day, Luke shows up, so it's like he just missed seeing them by a couple of days. Like what happened? Like <laughs> it's just such it's it's an annoying lineup of events, right. in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess and we can. Um... Luke, Luke is. It's because Luke was led to be when we watched the, the original trilogy, the, the the only Jedi, like the last Jedi, is trying to like piece all these things together, right? Yeah, and he seems like he's he helps and he's he's such a like a a positive influence and uh, benefits the rebellion so much because he has these these Jedi abilities mm, and yeah. lo and behold now he he was no longer the only Jedi in the rebellion to help them when he was just a kind of a crappy replacement for the two previous Jedi that were there a week ago <laughs> well and we know now that it's not even just Ezra and Kanan like we know that there's been numerous Jedi that survived the purge and have progressively over the tw- the nineteen year gap between episode three and four have uh, assisted the rebellion in some way or another. So you know we know that Cal Kestis is of course is a really big big name Jedi in, the, in the Jedi game series, and he is uh, instrumental in the early days of the re- the rebel cells. You know, working with Saw Gerrera and uh, you know eventually falling into league with the Path. Uh, the hidden path for the for the Jedi smuggling smuggling Jedi out of uh, out of harm's way, as well as his master Seer and uh, a, you know another and and her master, so three Jedi all alive in that kind of early story, helping build the rebellion in a way that well fighting as a as a cell you know in itself, but then also kind of helping the rebellion from the from the roots right. And then, you know, flash forward later to Obi-Wan Kenobi 
and you get the the outcome of what that path does for people like uh uh like oh, right. obi-wan yeah. like and and you know you meet characters like um what's his face you know ice cube's son you know the <laughs> actor uh I'm not sure his name, uh, but I, I know what he's talking character. about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's at that point, five years later, it's like more established. It's like this is how we save, you know, force sensitive children now that are being hunted by inquisitors and by the Empire. And uh, not to mention the fact that, you know, these rebel cells are becoming more frequent, you know, as a, as a collective, right? And then, you know, flash forward again, five years. Uh, or sorry, Andor, you know, we get Andor, the story building there. And then flash forward another five years and you get Star Wars Rebels happening and you get two Jedi in, in that story, which is Kanan and Ezra, you know, helping the rebellion at that point in time. So the rebellion really wouldn't be what it is if it didn't have the Jedi influence. And I think that's why the rebellion has stuck to the phrase of the Jedi. It was like, may the force be mm-hmm. with you because it's such a deep rooted thing to have like the, the assistance of the Jedi throughout the rebellion. But it's true. Like by the time you get to A New Hope, it's been a year since, or near, nearly a year, you know, since um, they last had a Jedi in their midst. And that's why Mon Mothma kind of whispers to Bail Organa, like, because she knows about Obi-Wan, um, you know, and kind of asks him, like, you know, can we get help from your Jedi friend? And for her, it's not like a weird thing to ask that because she knows that the Jedi are powerful people and she knows that they can be helpful she knows that they can do some good. And uh, so that's, I think that's probably something that motivates her to do that is probably because she knows what they can do. And, uh, you know, going from there, you know, you have Luke kind of being brought up as not only just a new hope for the Jedi Order, you know, as it, as it's, as it stands, but Obi-Wan, as we know, very shortly dies you know, after he kind of brings Luke into the rebellion. So... Now it's really just him. And, you know, as far as Yoda knows, he doesn't know where Ezra is. He doesn't know where Ahsoka <laughs> is. And she doesn't call herself a Jedi anyway. So, like, really, who's left, right? So it, from mm-hmm. a certain point of view, you know, he is sort of the last Jedi at the point of which Yoda dies and kind of tells him that. Right. And she says, like, you know, the last of the Jedi you will be. And, you know, he's speaking of people who are kind of within his presence that, you know, within, within the, the existing ter- turn of events that can actually do anything about it before it gets yeah, too can, late. Can actually make a difference. Yeah. Luke is that only person. He's the only person. Right? He's, he's only, he's, he's always only ever been the only person that could do anything. You know, like he's the only person that can redeem Vader. You know, Yoda and Obi-Wan were, were convinced that he was the only person that could restore the order. And, uh, because they so conveniently overlooked Leia. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then, uh, oh, by the way, God, sister. <laughs> That's right. The backup for the backup plan. Right. Um, Pablo Fuentes of Poodoo's, I think I would give this one, uh, this arc, two Pablo points. I think it was... Uh, Is it really an arc, though? I just feel like it was two episodes. It, it does feel like two episodes, but one of them segues into the other, and, and the Rebels Recon tied both of these together. I mean, if I was to award scores for, for each of them, though, uh, the first one, Kindred, with the TIE Defender uh, being stolen, we had the whole Rook kind of like 
uh, chase scene it's with mostly Ezra and Jai yeah, on the speeder. Yeah, it was it was mostly okay. introduction for him. Yeah, I, I would have probably given that one uh, like uh, probably a one Pablo point, and mm-hmm. then uh, the second one, Crawler Commandeers, uh, probably would have been. I like that one actually. It was it was quite it was quite fun. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'll, be, I'll be nice. I'll give it two Pablo points. I think it was pretty great. Star Wars Escape Pod has just been intercepted by the Separatist Alliance. If you are tuning in right now, don't go anywhere. Leave a review and make it a good one. found that the the first episode even though it had more story elements of kind of leading into where the the arcs are going kind of more introduction to Bodhi Rook and showing the the Lothables and how they have the ability to use the force and go through hyperspace or whatever it is to get them to the, the new base location after being found by the Empire I felt I enjoyed watching it but looking back on it I feels like not a lot happened, which is funny because the second episode was very fillery because it, it didn't really accomplish anything, but it was a lot of fun. Mm. So I found myself enjoying that quite a bit more than the first one. Yeah. So yeah. similar to you, I think, yeah, probably a one for the first one. And I don't want to, I don't want to copy you exactly. So I'm going to say two and Gotcha. All right, yeah. Basically, cool. basically, basically six cards you. Right, right. Not quite. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's close enough. I mean, the, those are those are pretty good ones, and uh, you know, they're 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 getting better. They're getting better as we're going down the list here. So I'm looking forward to, you know, when we get around to uh, episode nine, you know, Rebel Assault, and uh, kind of what follows from there is all juicy stuff. So yeah, because so, I know. Uh, just you know, watch along the series here and keep these podcasts coming out. It does seem like from this point onward, uh, everything just keeps ramping up more and more. So it it seems like we're really uh really kicking off like the the true heart of the show. It's been really exciting. Oh yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Awesome. Well, um, we gave our Pablo points of Pudus. We wrapped up four episodes of Rebels on today's Rebels Talk episode. Is there anything you want to? say before we wrap things up here or uh shall we segue out uh well the following even this episode is going to come out after so i'm really curious how this is all going to tie directly into it especially what happens in the next two episodes i'm really curious how that's going to directly lead into it yeah me too yeah i'm with you there so with this episode coming out we're recording it before ahsoka but it's going to be released after ahsoka so I'm curious, you know, looking backwards on it, how it's all going to play out. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, we're we're going to come, we're going to look the fools for, for our, our theories after something come out or not. Yeah. <laughs> well said. All right, man. As always, it's been a pleasure. And uh, with the Separatist increasingly trying to infringe on our broadcast, <laughs> we will, uh, we will call it here. <laughs> we know what we should have done. We should have 
just tried to find some sort of uh, some sort of crawler and try to steal their antenna array so we could boost our signal. Yeah, we should have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, All right, buddy. We'll catch you in the next one. Sounds good. We'll see you out there. Keep flying. All right. Thank you so much for all of you tuning in. And before we go... Star Wars Escape Pod has just been intercepted by the Separatist Alliance. If you are tuning in right now, don't go anywhere. Leave a review and make it a good one. That would help us out a lot. And for those of you who have stuck with us so far in Star Wars Rebels, uh, thank you so much for being with us. You could drop a five-star review. That would be fantastic. Our socials are in the description below. Always check down there for the episodes that we're watching next. And because this will release after Ahsoka, we hope you guys enjoyed the premiere. Look for our after shows on that. And may the Force be with you. <laughs>